0: Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome to Clear Choices. I am super excited to talk to our guest today who I'll introduce in a minute, but I want to give a little context to this guest speaker. His name is Pete Gale and he is a youth sports consultant. I myself have a a great passion for sports. I was an athlete myself as a young adult. Both of my boys are athletes also. And I really believe in the power of sports to build character and to create a healthy lifestyle, to teach perseverance and discipline. Uh, As someone who runs a, a fairly large company, I'm always gravitating towards people who have a sports background, because I believe it really lends itself to hard work and focus in the workplace. I'm really passionate about it. And so when I started this podcast, Clear Choices, I had considered at one point doing a separate podcast that was going to have a youth sports orientation. So I'm really excited to have our guest here today and and speaking about the youth sports movement. I want to start off before I introduce Pete with a little bit of a background on, on what youth sports looks like today in America. So here's a, some interesting touch points right now, youth sports in general is a $17 billion industry, which is as large as major league baseball. On average, most American families spend between a hundred and $500 per child per month in youth sports. You can get to 17 billion pretty quickly. of families are spending that much per child. Some spend as much as $2,000 per month, depending on the sport and the, the level that that player is at. Also, to give you a context, since a lot of this passion and focus on youth sports by American families is with the sole focus of getting their child into college on a scholarship. So I want to give you some context around that as well. As an example, I'm going to use soccer as an example, and you'll find out why in a moment. Right now, 5.5% of the high school men soccer players in the country are playing college soccer. So there's almost 500,000 high school soccer players, 25,000 of them are playing college soccer. And that 5.5% is broken down as 1.3% in division one. 1.5% 1.5% in Division II, and 2.7% in Division Three. So it's very competitive field, and uh, equally so in many other sports. And that leads me to introducing our guest, which I'm so excited to have, Pete Gale here. To give you a little bit of background on Pete, he was born in Portland, Oregon, and now lives in Lake Oswego, Oregon. But he had a very significant experience as a college soccer player. He was the captain at Duke University. He played professionally. He was a, a coach at Loyola Marymount University, which is a Division I college. And he has a USSF National A coaching license, which is the highest license that you can get. And, you know, it's what is required of the MLS and professional and collegiate coaches in the country. He was an assistant technical director at Santa Monica United in Los Angeles, which is one of the largest clubs here in Los Angeles and many, many other accolades. He also, as many people do when they live in Los Angeles, he had a stint in the acting and entertainment worlds and started his own production company. But now uh, living in Lake Oswego, Oregon with his, uh, his family, he is a successful operator of the PG Method, which is an athletic recruiting mentorship program. And he has literally helped Hundreds and hundreds of kids in multiple sports with a focus on soccer, but in multiple sports, find their path to play college sports and hopefully obtain a scholarship. Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's my pleasure. Uh, So, tell me a little bit about how this all started for you. Obviously, you were a college soccer player, and I I would love to hear about that experience, but tell us first about how it came to be that you started the PG Method. Sure. Well, yeah,
1: as you mentioned, I was a collegiate soccer player. My dad was actually a high school soccer coach as well, and was my first coach growing up. So, I think I've had kind of coaching in my blood, and I knew, you know, even in college, we would do clinics and little camps and things for for young kids. And I always loved that aspect of kind of giving back and working with kids and teaching. And right out of finishing my playing days in college, I was coaching elite players in Southern California. And I had a very, very competitive team when I was about 23 or 24 years old, a team from the Force Soccer Club. It used to be uh, I think it's now, you know, became the South Bay Force, which was this elite club in Southern California now as one of the ga- LA Galaxy franchises. But these kids were super, super talented, 10, 11 years old, highly ranked. And many of them were from families where college was not even being discussed, not on their radar. And so in 2002, I did my first College night. It was an event and it was really for these kids because I'm looking at them and looking at how incredibly talented they are and thinking there is this incredible opportunity that could be there for many of them. uh, And they have no sense of what that might look like. And that was sort of an immersion into the college space. And I ended up staying very close with many of those kids even after I uh, finished being the coach of their team. And ended up working with a number of them, giving them advice and tips and strategies as they were going through their recruiting process. And so that team, several of the kids ended up playing in college. They were first generation kids, the first kids in their family to ever go to college. Some of them obtained scholarships. Some of them went to Ivy League colleges. Others were playing in the junior college level. But again, they were playing college soccer. They were getting an education. And I just found that side of the process incredibly rewarding. And I also saw firsthand how needed mentorship, guidance, advice was because, you know, the current modern, I guess the the recruiting landscape now is very competitive, as you mentioned in your intro. And if kids just sort of wander into this process, you know, they may get left behind. And so... Every club that I would work for, I'd always become the college guy. I was always immersed in that uh, space. I loved doing it. And then I decided to go back to school uh, and study college counseling so that I could understand that side of the space as well. I knew from my experience at LMU what recruiting looked like and from working with kids through the process, but I wanted to understand the academic piece as well. So it's really those two sides that make up PG
0: it's it's so interesting to hear it because as I hear you tell how it was formed it clearly seems like your original intention was just to help these kids that you cared about it wasn't with the the idea of starting a business it sounds like you were originally just like hey these kids need help and I care about them so it came from that first
1: oh absolutely i mean it's yeah, I, I love coaching i mean coaching is a huge part of what i do and the side of coaching that was always really fun for me it was the side of coaching where you take a player off to the side one on one and you say hey how are you doing you know talk to me about how life is going how school going what's what's going on in your life and and then from there that was always the segue into you know all right well here's what we're seeing on the field what we're not seeing and how we can help take your game to the next level so level so i love mentorship i love guidance i love um, that piece. And, and that's really the essence of what PG Method is. It's, it's much less about, you know, soccer and athletics, uh, and more about guidance and strategy and mentorship. And what are you really shooting for this huge goal that many kids have of playing in college of being a collegiate athlete? And how do we go out and make that happen?
0: So, and I want to talk about that further as the, some of the statistics I shared at the beginning indicate, but before we do that, I want to ask you, so let's talk about your choices. So you're obviously a very talented youth soccer player. Otherwise you wouldn't have ended up at Duke, let alone being the captain. Talk to us a little bit about the choices you had to make at a young age Mm -hmm. to a play college soccer and also like move to the East coast from the West coast, not insignificant decisions.
1: Yeah. So, you know, really for as far as I can remember, I loved sports. I was involved in all sports as a young kid and just loved to play. I had older brothers who played soccer. I mentioned earlier that my dad was a coach. So um, soccer became my first love and my passion, I would say, from the time I was in fifth or sixth grade. And at that time, I would go and watch University of Portland play, which is a Division One program here in Portland, and one of the most storied and, and celebrated uh, men's soccer programs in the country. Um, and certainly at that time, that was my dream, was to play at University of Portland. I had that you know, in my mind from a pretty young age. And then as I started going through the recruiting process, um, you know, I was pretty good. I was on the Olympic development team in Oregon. I was playing for the top club teams. You know, but University of Portland was not giving me much attention at all. I mean, my dream would have been to play for Clive Charles, but he wasn't interested, and so I was kind of looking outside of
0: the state at different programs. And so, let me interrupt you there, Pete, for a second. So, the team that you were, had kind of dreamed of playing for it was in your backyard. They were highly respectable. They were coached by a MLS legend. They weren't interested in you, so how did that land on you? Uh, Did you take it hard? And how did you come to the decision, the choice that I need to pursue another avenue for college soccer, as opposed to figuring out how you could climb that wall, so to speak at University of Portland? Sure.
1: You know, I think for me, uh, because the dream had set in pretty early that I wanted to play in college, by the time I was in high school, I had set in my mind that I was going to achieve this goal, that I was going to do it and nobody was going to stop me, whatever that looked like at whatever level that was going to be. And so, you know, I wasn't super dissuaded by the fact that university of Portland wasn't recruiting me only because at that time they would only take one kid, maybe a year from the state of Oregon and the rest of their recruiting were national team level players uh, from all over the country, Canadian national team players, they had a huge pipeline coming in then, so I knew it was very, very competitive mm-hmm. and you know their loss you know on some level um, I like
0: that that's a good that's a good attitude.
1: so I, I definitely and, and a lot of that I think has to come from you know your parents. you know my dad was um, definitely someone who by the time I was 14, 15 years old, was sending messages like, "Listen, if this is your dream." you need to own it. And you're your own young man now. So what are, what are you going to do to achieve that? You know, there was some tough love for sure uh, in my family. And that, and that I think was ultimately very helpful.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about your father. How much of your passion and drive to play in college was solely driven by you versus fueled a little bit by your father?
1: I think it was fueled certainly by his passion and love for the game. You know, my dad fell in love with soccer in the late 1970s when the original Portland Timbers came to be. And all these English guys came over to Portland and started playing and they formed this professional team. My dad was a football, American football and track guy growing up. And then all of a sudden the Timbers show up to Portland and he just falls in love with it. So in his thirties, he came to soccer and my dad, I was, I'm the last of, he has five sons, so my dad was a little bit older when I was born.
0: That's a lot of, that's a lot of smelly cleats. Oh man. I mean,
1: you know, five sons and a lot of uh, soccer practice and various sports that were involved. So I think on some level, by the time I came through, he was just he was ready to be uh, done with parenthood and move on to another chapter. But right. Um, you know, I think he instilled in me certainly a passion, a love for the game. My dad, wanted to coach at the highest level that he could. And he started doing, you know, coaching courses when he was, you know, in his thirties to learn the game. And then he became the high school coach at Newburgh high school, which is where I grew up, the town of Newburgh. And so I was around the game. I saw people pursuing it and, and, and saw this, my dad just being completely passionate about the game. And so that definitely rubbed off on me. I mean, he would be outside and, I grew up on a farm, a hazelnut farm, and my dad would be out there practicing juggling and he would be practicing his moves. And then he's got these old VHS corver tapes, and he was trying the moves and watching Vil Corver, this the very famous technical coach who showed all of these different moves, and my dad was like stumbling through trying to learn these moves. So I then, you know, soaked all of this up. And, and wanted to have a new juggling record and want it to be as good as the German kids that are on the video. I mean,
0: what's your juggling record?
1: My juggling record, which I obtained as a 16 year old is 1,344. Wow. And I tell kids to this day, it's, you know, there are kids that are far beyond that, but I'm pretty proud of that.
0: You yeah. Know, that's a pretty, big number.
1: You gotta, you gotta practice quite a bit to, to have the focus, the concentration the touch to focus. I mean, it, probably took me 30 to 40 minutes to sort of get to that.
0: Oh yeah. I'm sure you cramped up doing that. That's, that's a lot of work. So I'm going to switch gears again. Totally. One of the things that really attracted me to having you on the show was not just my shared passion for youth sports and sports in general and soccer as well, but also the fact that unlike a lot of my other guests who have You know, created amazing things in their life and have overcome amazing obstacles. I'm sure you have as well. But one of the things that you bring to this discussion that's a little bit unique is that you're really guiding others on making big decisions and having and making the right choices in their life. So talk to me a little bit about the process, how the process differs when you're guiding someone else as opposed to. Maneuvering yourself through your own choices. Now you're guiding someone else through their choices.
1: You know, I think it's a really, really important question. And I think as a you know, a young coach, as a mentor, I think immediately, you know, you sort of, um, especially if you've played at a high level, it's natural for you to sort of want to think about your own experience and then instill that or push that on young athletes and young students. And what I found is it's much more beneficial to the student athlete, to the family, to just meet kids where they are. So for me, everything starts by building a relationship with kids and starting to understand how and and what makes them tick, because that then serves uh, certainly the college process and and really the sort of what we're shooting for in the process. You know, Um, for some kids they might have a, a similar you know approach to the game and a goal of playing at the absolute highest level they can, that hunger, that drive to be the absolute best they can be. For other kids, they enjoy their sport. It's a big part of who they are. They love the friendships, the camaraderie, but it's more about balance. And they want to have the athletic experience and the academic and the social. And that's going to change you know, sort of what we're shooting for. So for me... A lot of it is about understanding, developing relationships, building trust, and then from there, the recruiting process and, you know, selecting a college and finding a great fit that can all unfold from that process.
0: So Pete, can you give me a sense, uh, can you give the listeners a sense of some of the athletes that you've coached and some of the choices they were faced with and how that all panned out for them?
1: Absolutely. It's very interesting. You know, I think a lot of times kids come at the college process from the standpoint, there's colleges that they've heard of, maybe the colleges that their parents went to or that are local to them. And so that's really where they start. But, and, and a lot of times those are happen to be division one programs. So it's a very, very competitive level of play. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, I've had kids who start thinking, you know, it is D1 or bust. And I'm thinking of a young kid who kind of started in that place and he was very, very talented player, but it was all about division one programs. And then he was also a really great student, really bright kid. And, you know, as happens with a lot of kids, I try to help them have balance in their process and not just shoot for say reach schools or the stars, but Hey, let's find some other schools that might fit the criteria that you're interested in. You're looking at that could be a great fit uh, academically, socially and that may also provide a soccer opportunity for you. So what I've seen so many times, I'm um, thinking of a, a student who was thinking all Division One, even had Division One coaches who were responding to him and interested, but visited a small liberal arts school in rural Maine, uh, Division Three College, and absolutely fell in love and came home from that trip basically saying, I have found the most wonderful fit for me. I want to go play at this school. So he may have had a choice to go play division one. He could have ended up on a division one roster, but made the choice to go play to division three school. He ended up starting his freshman year, becoming the captain of the team, leading to the, the program to its most successful season ever and became an all American at that school and loved his college experience. So when I look at the choice that he made and how the sport made a very positive impact on his life, how it was fun for him throughout his college career, he probably did better academically because he was having so much fun on the field. You know, I compare that to the choice of some other kids who are division one or bust and maybe they're part of that 1% that make it to a division one roster, but they never play because they don't have that you know, drive or whatever reason, it's just very, very competitive. You know, I have to say the division three opportunity, the the smaller school where you're going to play more meaningful minutes, minutes earlier, that's a really compelling uh, opportunity. Um, it's, it's, I,
0: it sounds like within that choice, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it sounds like in that choice, sometimes people might have to let go of the, you know, the badge or the prestige that they think goes along with playing at the D one school at the expense of having a better experience for that individual.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, again, it's natural for kids to fixate on certain schools um, because they've heard of them from the time they were young or whatever the reason might be, or just, you know, sometimes athletes are competitive. They've wanted to play for the best club team and the best, you know, AAU team or travel ball team or, you know, whatever it is. So now they want to do that in college. But I'll say this, that, you know, those kids that just love to play and then have that opportunity, again, it just becomes such a rewarding experience for them. And when that is going well, when the sport is going well, uh, it tends to gravitate or or have ramifications on other parts of your life as well. So school's going to go better. You're going to feel like it's a better fit overall for you uh, to be At that school. And so the other thing I talk about is, you know, eventually your athletic career is going to be over. And for a lot of kids, the recruiting process is this great model for what it's like to go out and look for a job. And so someday you're sitting in an office with an employer and they're looking at your resume and they're talking to you. It rarely matters what level you play they want to know what it was like to be a collegiate athlete and to have those demands and to balance it. And what was that experience? And that's across the board, whether you're playing at a, you know, big division one school or you're playing at a division three school, you still had to manage your time. You still had to compete. You had to fight for all of these different things in your life. And that's what's really exciting to a lot of employers. So I just think there's so, much benefit and, and the choice I see sometimes kids making where they'll decide I, I've had this happen, kids will have an opportunity. They're being recruited to play their sport. And they're also have an opportunity to go attend, say, a big state school. And maybe that school doesn't even offer their sport. Uh, but you know, all of the social opportunities are going to be available to them there and fraternities. And it's just so exciting. And I want to go to big football games and basketball games. And I want to be a part of that. And I don't want to trade that. So if it's only a small school that's recruiting me, well, I don't want to do that. And I get it. You know, that's a tough choice for certain kids, Mm -hmm. but I always talk to them about the merits of being an athlete, balancing that there is a certain pride that you're going to have having been an athlete having walked around campus, you know, playing on that varsity team, whatever the level of play. And at the end of the day, if you make a choice for whatever reason to go to that bigger school and to not play your sport, that's totally fine. But I do think it's a big trade off for those kids that have that choice and that option.
0: Yeah. And two, two things. Uh, thank you for that, Pete. Two two things that was triggered for me when you were talking. One is that uh, there's statistics that I've seen, I think in Forbes magazine that, more CEOs, both male and female, had played high-level athletics than not. Hmm. So it was just interesting. That was A. And B, uh, back to what you were saying about the value of having played sports uh, and walking around campus that so you just got done talking about that. You know, I, I kind of look at sports as that student-athlete's fraternity right? Like you can join a fraternity and have this network of friends and these people to be around. And in, in some cases, it's just like, Hey, I was on the softball team, the basketball team, the soccer team. And that was my, that was my group. That was the group I partied with and traveled with and experienced college through the lens of that, that body of people.
1: There's no question. I mean, I think sports is a natural fraternity. It builds camaraderie. I mean, you, you develop friendships and close relationships with people that you go through tough times with i mean when you have two a days in the you know the heat in the in the humidity of the summer and and, you know who who do you turn to when you're not starting and you're really upset with your coach it's going to be a teammate so it's a really special bond you develop with those those folks that you're competing with and then you know, the, the friendships that I have to this day and many of the kids that I work with, I mean, they're those teammates that you have, those people that you went through those experiences with. So I think there's so much value. The other thing I want to say is I think with this recent college scandal, athletics and student athletes have got a bad rap. You know, mm-hmm. you will you will hear this and see this in print, like, you know, athletes are prioritized at certain schools. And yes, I mean, college coaches do have. Uh, a certain amount of pull, and they can help student athletes to gain admission, provided that they have uh, the academic background to handle the workload at the school. But I think it shouldn't be discounted um, the the value that student athletes bring to a college campus. Whether it's you know other students going and cheering them on, um, and that competitive drive to succeed on the field and off the field, what they do afterward. I mean, I've never seen a, seen a statistic, but it would be interesting to see. Um, what donations to various universities look like and whether or not those folks have an athletic background. I've never researched that. I would bet you it's There's a lot of merit to bringing athletes in.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So Pete, when you sign up a new client, I'm assuming most of your time is spent talking to the player, the student athlete. How much, if any, of your time is spent talking with the parents?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, generally... Parents are the first people that I talk to because they're reaching out overwhelmed, uh, feeling a sense of anxiety sometimes with the college process. You know, hey, my kid thinks they want to play in college, but this whole recruiting process, the maze has got us just baffled and we need some help. So that typically is the conversation and how things start. But then from there, what I have to help parents understand is, listen, this is has to be something that your son or daughter wants. If they want to pursue this, it's going to be up to them to reach out and connect and engage to build relationships with college coaches, with these people that could potentially recruit them to their school. And so um, most of the time, parents are very open to that and they're very uh, excited to have some guidance and some help because maybe they've been feeding their kids certain messages like, Hey, I think we need to be doing some things toward achieving this goal of playing in college and competing in college, and you're not really doing anything. And sometimes that message just isn't being heard. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll come in to try to help families have a process A and have a line of communication directly with the student athlete so that they start taking ownership for this. Cause it comes differently
0: from me than it does, you know, from a parent. Uh, of course, of course it does. So Pete, let me ask you a question. We've all seen evidence, either on the field ourselves or on television, of parents behaving badly. We've seen parents that take this youth sports movement too far. They're too intense, and they put too much pressure on their kid. So I'm sure with the hundreds and hundreds of kids that you've consulted, you've dealt with some of those parents how are you guiding them on their choices as it impacts their kid?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question, and I will just say that you know, having been immersed in the space for a while, there's nothing I, I haven't seen, and I, including very intense parents who are putting a lot of pressure on their son or daughter in the process, and and we need to look you know no further than the recent college scandal to see sort of how you know when things are taken to the extreme, the lengths at which parents might go to you know, help their kid, including breaking the law. Um, oh, yeah. But I think, you know, for me, building trust with kids is really important, building trust with parents, and then helping parents to understand, you know, this is your son or your daughter's journey. And we are trying to help them find the best fit. And so, you know, here's what fit looks like. It's a mix of many different criteria. And we need to find that place where your son or daughter is going to thrive. And that may. You know, differ from the expectations and and the ideas that you have going into the process. But if we find your son or your daughter a great fit, they're going to be happy playing their sport. They're going to be doing better academically. Uh, there's so much merit to that. So you just have to trust the process and trust that we're going to find a wonderful fit for them at the end. So so typically that's a wonderful sort of calming influence on parents who are very intense with their kids and.
0: That's a it's a great answer, Pete. And it leads me to another question. Have you ever had to or decided to stop working with someone because there was sort of an imbalance between the athlete and the parent?
1: I have not run into that scenario yet, but I think that's because I do a lot of work upfront with families to make sure that it's a good fit. Uh, you know, I am working with Families that tend to take their athletics very seriously. These are these are kids who you know are playing their sport and competing at a very high level to start. So the fact that they're thinking about playing in college is typically not coming out of nowhere, or it's it's typically not coming from you know outer space.
0: And then, they actually have a chance. It, this is actually not, a, it's a possibility. Absolutely. <laughs> so if
1: that criteria is yeah. not in place, then typically it's not going to be a good fit. The second thing is you know, are they good students? Are they working hard academically? That is a massive piece of the recruiting process. If the grades aren't there, I can't help you. Um, And then I am also making sure, and I have very upfront with parents about, you know, the fact that I'm a guide, a mentor. I'm here to strategize, give you as much advice as I can, but I'm not an agent. I, I am not going to be out selling, you know, your son or daughter to various programs. And what's interesting is so many of these recruiting services will tout this kind of um, help in the process. And a, you know, it's an NCAA violation. And b, it's it's just, you know, uh, it's not healthy uh, for the.
0: I've got to think it's not even what the college coach would want. The college coach, even if it were allowable, I would think the college coach would want a kid who can advocate for themselves.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they they want to have, you know, as little sort of connection with, you know, parents or guidance counselors as possible. They're going to make their own decision about the student athlete and their athletic ability. And they're going to be able to look at transcripts and test scores and get a feel for where they are academically. So they're going to make their own determinations. And you're right they want to develop relationships with the kids and get to know them and see if they can stand on their own two feet, if they can come to their program and really add something to uh, the college and, and the community there.
0: You know, interesting. I, um, not long ago attended a division one, a UCLA soccer game, and it was so interesting when you compare the fan and player and coach experience at a high level soccer game like that versus any youth sports experience, whether it's soccer, baseball, football, it doesn't matter. It was so much more civil in college as a, compared to, you know, the youth baseball game where people are freaking out and ref, I'm going to kill you and all that. Like it was, it was a really stark contrast. I was kind of shocked. I, I didn't realize it until I went and saw it like, Wow youth sports can be pretty volatile absolutely well I, and i think that you know what's funny is that the other end of the spectrum where you see that
1: pure joy and just enjoyment is at the youngest ages five six years old when kids first come into sport and everybody's clapping for the kids and they might be dribbling a soccer ball in the wrong direction or shooting the basket in the wrong direction and it's like you know Totally missing their pitch, and everyone's laughing and having a great time. But yeah, what happens now is that by the time we get to nine, 10, 11 years old, you know, we enter, as my good friend John O'Sullivan would call it, the um, the road to the race to nowhere. And you have these sidelines of intense parents who are, you know, yelling at their kid and coaches yanking kids off the field for making a mistake. And no wonder we have so many kids that are leaving sports too early. So, Um, they get burnt out. And so when you get, but then when you get to college and it's like, oh, wow, well, these athletes have made it and this is a very high level and I can just enjoy it for the game's sake. You know, it's, it's a bit of a different thing. So anyway,
0: and no one's, I didn't see anyone yelling at the refs at college. I can tell you that no, no coach, no player interacting with the ref. So let me switch gears real quick. As I mentioned in my opening, youth sports is a $17 billion industry. And in the case of soccer, and these percentages don't differ that much by sport, you know, a little bit, 5.5% of high school boys are playing in college. So it's a small number. And that's going to hold true for basketball. And baseball is a little bit higher. If I remember correctly, it's about 8%, et cetera. So I want to hear how you respond to this quote, which sort of summarizes some of the statistics I've just referenced. There are delusions that sport will provide college scholarships. Too many parents today believe that their child is destined to receive a Division I scholarship. This is akin to playing the lottery. Don't bank on it. Putting all your eggs in the sports basket is misguided and dangerous for your child's emotional well-being. In addition to the statistical challenges, there's a strong chance that an athlete will face a sport-ending injury or simply just burn out make sure that your athlete has other interests and doesn't believe that sports are their only route to success.
1: Well, I just think it's incredibly powerful message and and the kind of thing that that so many parents and so many of us, you know, have to keep in mind as our kids go through their sporting journey and I think, you know, I have young kids that are just starting in sports and I see Um, And starting in more competitive sports, they've just started club soccer and now they're doing basketball and it's for the most part fairly healthy, but you start to see already certain parents that are taking things very seriously and, and, you know, yelling at their kid when they're out there just trying to figure it out. You know, mistakes are actually healthy. They help you learn, they help you grow. But I think a lot of parents have a hard time with that. And I think the way that I see Um, things sort of manifesting themselves in my daily life is that college becomes something that parents fixate on as a bit of a massive milestone in your parenting journey. You know, that you've Mm -hmm. raised your kid, they're through high school now, and you're going to send them off to college. And after that, they're essentially in the real world. So on some level, it's this thing that a lot of parents feel pressure and the college scholarship and the sport being the vehicle to You know, achieving that milestone is very compelling for a lot of families. But I think understanding that the only way that your son or daughter is going to get there is if they truly love the game, if they truly are passionate about their sport and want to compete at a high level, it has to be fun for them. And when kids at a young age start to feel this pressure, many times they're done by the time they're 14. The current statistic Mm -hmm. that I have heard is that 70% of kids are dropping out of youth sports by the time they're 14. And a lot of it comes from this pressure they feel from mom and dad to get that scholarship, to be on the top team. And all of that is completely outside of the student athletes need and what they're saying they want to get out of it, which may just be to compete and have fun with their friends, which Mm -hmm. is totally
0: healthy. And if, so Pete let me let me ask you that so now you've got a kids playing competitive sports so now the the role has reversed you know you were a competitive athlete your father was a coach you were a, a D1 coach now you have a consulting practice solely focused on getting kids to reach their goals whatever they may be within college sports now you've got a kid what kind of dad are you on the sideline?
1: Well, I, um, I do get asked to coach a fair amount because of my background. Now, I'm the volunteer coach now, so I just can, you know, kind of come in when I can to be helpful. With my kids, I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing my best to um, enjoy the journey, to not say too much when they're playing, to let them make mistakes after the game. The question is uh, typically, you know, are you hungry? Um, and I obviously <laughs> love sending the message of you know I love watching you play, but not giving too much criticism or critique because at the end of the day, it's going to be them that has to fall in love with that. And if that happens, fantastic. If they fall in love, do you with-
0: find yourself? St- do you f- I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do, do you find yourself struggling sometimes to filter yourself? Well, I mean, at this stage, you know, having a background in the in
1: sport, I know how important it is to have a fundamental or technical background in the game. So if there's anything I've tried to do is just to help my kids have fun with the ball, uh, enjoy, and soccer obviously being my background is a lot of what my kids are playing. But on some level, I know I just have to set them free. And whether that's soccer that they fall in love with, or, you know, I think that my son is actually pretty interested in academics. He seems to really enjoy school and if that's the direction he wants to go, I have to just celebrate this. But it's not easy when you have a passion and you have my background to just sort of, you know, not want to impose. Um, and, you know, I think as they get older and I think kind of to map back to what we talked about earlier, that sideline of the game, it's 10, 11, 12 year old kids and it's very intense I can imagine that that stage will be more challenging than it is right now, where my kids are eight years old, six years old. It's still pretty fun. It's still pretty new. In a few years, there's going to be a lot of questions asked, you know, A team versus B team competing for, you know, championships and tournament cups and all of these things. I can only imagine what that's going to feel like. Hopefully, though, I will be relaxed, zen, and just enjoy the ride.
0: Yeah. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> it, it builds character for sure, but there's there's undoubtedly pressure on, on everyone involved because the parents are vested in the process. And I just wanted to add that, um, you know, you were talking about, hey, the first question you ask is what do you want to eat? And I kind of learned a similar thing when my kids were playing youth sports. And that is, I sort of treated both of them like cats. And what I mean by that is, as opposed to like, Hey, how did you feel about the game? And what did the coach say? And you know, this, that, and the other, I'd be, I'd kind of wait till the cat came and sat in my lap, metaphorically speaking. And when they were ready to talk about the game, that's when we talked about the game. Other than that, it was like, do you want a taco or do you want a hamburger? Totally.
1: Well, I think that's so really, I, 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 and I think that's really the the best advice you can give other you know sport parents is, you know, especially if you have a background and your kid comes and they want to talk about it and they want some feedback. Great. You know, you have a green light there. Um, I think the mistake, though, is, you know, to immediately they finish playing, right? And you've all, you've heard the story of the, the drive home for the athlete. And the kids who's out there trying to have right. fun, gets in the car, and immediately it's criticism, it's negativity. Um, you know, I
0: think that's, that's
1: what is, you know, causing right. some of the burnout that we talked about earlier.
0: Absolutely. I, I had one other quote I wanted to share with you. And I'm, I'm reading this quote to you in the context of if you feel like it is poignant and resonates with the people listening who might themselves want to play college sports or the parents of, of kids that might want to play college sports. And if you don't think this resonates, please you know, share with me something else that you feel like would be most relevant. But this is a quote from Derek Jeter, and it simply says, there may be people that have more talent than you but there's no excuse for anyone to work harder than you do.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's super powerful. I mean, I can just tell you that, you know, the kids that I see uh, who have success, you know, moving on from high school to college athletics. So that 5%, generally there are a few characteristics, but one of the most important is that they want to compete and work very, very hard. And they, they want to do that at an ever higher level throughout their high school career. So they take their training and their focus and their, you know, sort of approach the sport almost to the next level, even from say freshman year to sophomore into junior year, you know, you're really seeing that determination and that hunger alive in it. them. And, yeah. and that's, you know, incredibly important because by the time you get to college, everyone is very talented. And the drive and the hunger then to be on the field and to actually impact the program sort of becomes the next thing. So I do think that hunger and drive is essential. At the same time, I think you have to have a healthy love of the sport. That passion has to be there. And if it is, then you're going to want to work hard. You're going to want yeah, you are gonna can't,
0: you can't create that. It has to, it has to be.
1: Yeah. It's, and, and you know how that's created, I think, you know, a lot of times kids gravitate toward things they're good at and they've received praise for those things. And so, you know, if a kid feels they're pretty good at something and they're building their self-esteem because people are saying, Hey, you're really good at this sport, you know, then it's a healthy thing. And that passion and that drive sort of comes and is born out of that.
0: How do you coach and guide your clients when typically, I mean, and I'm imagining this, I didn't, I did not play college sports myself, but I'm imagining that, you know, most of the kids that are playing college sports were the best or one of their best in their high school. And then they go to college and they are one of 20 or 30 or 50 kids that are also the best in their high school. So now they can't all, they're not all going to be the best anymore there's got to be some sort of, you know, adjustment that you must prepare these student athletes for.
1: You know, it's such a great point. And, you know, I, right now it's, you know, the fall of, of, you know, senior year for many of the kids that I work with and they're making decisions. Maybe they've already committed to a school or they're visiting schools and they're, you know, finalizing which schools they're most excited about. So it's an exciting time. Kids are finalizing things. We're kind of figuring out where, this class of 2020 is going to go. And what's interesting is almost every time when I have a conversation with a kid, Hey, I've made my decision, Pete, you know, I'm going to commit to this school. I'm going to this school. They've made me an offer and it's a very exciting time. And, you know, there's a celebration with the family and wonderful thing, but almost every time the very, in that same conversation or shortly thereafter, it's, Hey, you know that the hard work starts now, don't you? Because, it's really true. I mean in order to compete at the college level, you've got to be so tough mentally. You've got to be ready for an up and down roller coaster that you've probably never seen. To your point, you've been one of the best players on your team. Um, you've been given all of this praise and you may now be going into a scenario where you're not even traveling with the team. you know uh, So some of the things I talk to kids about and, and one of the simple challenges I'll put out there is, hey, make sure when you go to preseason as a freshman you're in the best shape of your life take your fitness and your approach to the game to just a, a level that you've never seen and usually if you go in incredibly fit a you stay injury free and b you just have a better experience from the top because you're able to do well fitness wise so
0: those are some little things so i've got to think that you know a freshman when they're coming into college playing whatever sport they're playing in some cases, they're competing against 22, 23 year old men who've been doing this for four years. And the level of intensity and skill and confidence that these men have compared to a freshman probably is best challenged by being super fit. By being the fittest guy in the room, you can probably make up for a lot.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, when you come in and you're ready to play your sport from just a fitness and strength standpoint, it makes such a huge difference. And, you know, a lot of times what, you know, college sports, you, you start out and it's fitness, right? It's it's literally, you know, you're doing hard, longer runs or sprint training or whatever it is. And and these are things that you can be doing on your own and exist almost completely outside of the, the skill on the field or the court or whatever sport you're sort of coming into. So, you know, there's a big adjustment When you get to college, to your point, you are competing now against, you know, student athletes who are 20, 21, 22 years old. They've been in the weight room for a few years and they've now adjusted to what it's like to be an athlete, to be in that environment, to the speed of the game uh, that comes from being around much bigger, faster, stronger athletes. So for me, a lot of it maps back to how important uh, the game is to you, how passionate you are about the game you know, because you're going to be challenged. But if it's fun for you to work through that, and if you have that hunger, then you will rise to the occasion. You know, for me, Mm -hmm. it took me two years really to get on the field at Duke. I was the fittest guy. And so I did really well in all the fitness testing. And that that was fantastic. And I was a sub. It was like a super sub for my freshman and sophomore year. I would come in if there were some injuries and there was an opportunity here or there, but I was not a regular starter. And, you know, it was really the spring of my sophomore year at Duke before my junior year that I played at another level. And I sort of, I remember going into the office of my coach and just saying, I think I should be starting for this team. And I, I I can add something of value in the wing. And he, he kind of nodded his head and he was like, all right, well, we'll see what you can do. But he gave me, an opportunity out wide in the spring, and I sort of never looked back. I played really well, and then I earned that starting job coming into the fall of my junior year. But that was two years. That was weight training. I probably gained 15 pounds of muscle between, you know, I was 5'11", 155 pounds as a freshman. By
0: my junior year, I was about 175. So so talk to me about the choice you had to make from a mentality perspective to cope with those essentially, I, I don't want to say two years on the bench, because I know you came in and sub, but essentially two years being on the second team, basically.
1: Yeah, for me, it, it maps back to sort of the original dream. I mean, I, and I know this sounds, I don't know, um, somewhat, you know, hoity-toity. I don't know if that's the right word, but I mean, I wanted to play college soccer from the time I was in fifth grade. So when I was had that opportunity and I was right there I wanted to get to the finish line and I thought it was something that I could do. I believed in myself enough that I could add value, that I could give something to the program and I wasn't going to let anything hold me back or stop me from that. And I came in and had national team players, kids that were much bigger recruits than me that, you know, by my senior year, weren't even on the team. And Mm. I just, I loved it. And I loved working hard. I loved the challenge. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to be a blue devil and be a big you know, factor in the program. And so it took me some time to get there, but by my senior year, we, I was the captain of the team and we won the ACC championship for the first time in school history.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So was- what a, what a great accomplishment. That's awesome. And I, I hear your passion about the sport and, and maybe more importantly, you know, guiding others to achieve their goals as well. Uh, I really appreciate having had you on the show today, Pete. And I guess I want to just close with, is there anything else that you want to share uh, before we sign off in terms of, you know, the choices that people need to make around this particular subject, you know, know, sports and following their passions in general? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think for kids and families who are navigating the college process know that it starts earlier than a traditional college search for most kids who might you know start thinking more about college in you know summer between junior and senior year and then start applying to colleges i have nephews who are not athletes and they're going through this now but if you're an athlete you know it might be freshman or sophomore year where you should start to think about this and the reason is that having a plan, having a sense of what you might be shooting for, and then starting to build those relationships with with coaches is so key. Um, you know, the, the idea that you're just going to be really good at your sport, and a good student, and that people are going to find you, you know, if you have that mentality, unfortunately, you may just get left behind. So having a plan, a process, and then really Somebody to talk through, and that could be your family, could be somebody who kind of understands the landscape to understand what a good fit looks like, I think is really important. And the other key piece I will say is getting feedback about what level of play might be right for you, you know, as you go through and you're trying to figure out what schools to target, if you have good advice and feedback on that can be very helpful.
0: So yeah. What, what I love about what you just said is that, you know, having a, a plan and a process and a goal, I mean, this is applicable to everybody sure. in, in life, whether you're an athlete or have a, a, a kid who's pursuing a sport, uh, super valuable. And I think there was just tons of nuggets throughout uh, our conversation today that I, I think apply to everybody, uh, whether they're pursuing a sport or not. So Pete, thank you so much for being a guest here today. Listeners, uh, I hope you got a lot out of this. This certainly was a a, a great guest for us to have and also certainly uh, fueled a little bit of one of my passions, which is sports in general. So great to have Pete on the call and looking forward to our next uh, episode. So thanks so much for listening to Clear Choices. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.